What's up, everybody? This is Matilda Egera-Cooper, and you're listening to Finesse Your Wellness, the podcast that explores what it means to thrive and live well. On today's episode, we're looking at money. Yes, the moolah, the cash in our stash. But this is less about how much of it we have and more about how we feel about money, especially how those feelings play a role in our well-being. So here's a little tea about me. A few years ago, I did this money course, and part of it involved taking a long, hard look at our money just to give us some clues as to why we were in our financial situations. And I will keep it so 100 with you guys. Back then, my money was funny, and not by any illegitimate means. I'm just saying I was not the best with it. In fact, let me give you an analogy. I have been every kind of girlfriend to money. I have been the clingy one who's worried that if I let go of what I've got, I'll never get it back. You know her, you know the one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then there's the one who's a bit too chill out and occasionally forgets to check in. Or there's that one who's out here fronting, playing herself. You know, she is spending like someone she's absolutely not and living that overdraft and credit card life a little bit too hard. Yes, I am guilty as charged. (laughs) So I understand that money can be a tricky thing to think and talk about no matter how much you have. That's why I'm chatting to my homegirl, Melanie Eusebi MBA. She's known as one of the UK's most influential women in business and the creative industries. And she's the author of the book, Financial Wellness and How to Find It. Mel is also an entrepreneur, board trustee, professor, and business strategist. And she's developed an incredible wealth of knowledge and wisdom on money matters for more than 20 years. In her book, she does a brilliant job of encouraging us to find financial freedom and whatever that looks like for us, because it plays such a big part in our wellness. Well, Melanie, welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast. I know you are a very busy woman and you do not mess about with your time. Um, So I'm very appreciative to have a snippet of your busy schedule. Now, the listeners may not know this, but I have personally had the benefit of your friendship, jokes, wisdom, and intelligence for what I've worked out might be over 15 years. I think... It's a, it's that long. It feels like it. it. Feels like a long time now. Like it feels like years have just passed. We're done. Yeah, OG friendship. And I vividly remember the first time we met, if I'm correct, which was at a friend's exhibition, Art Comes First, in West London. And I actually remember the photo <laughs> that we had. No. Where I'm wearing like this interesting ensemble with this hat. You had extensions. You had yep. like these blonde extensions up in a ponytail. And um, the reason why I bring that up is because there's a moment in your amazing book, which we'll get into, where you ask us to explore where we were at certain points in our life to cast our minds back to 15 years, five years, 10 years. And so I remember back then I was a freelance journalist. My money was not right <laughs> at all. <laughs> Dare I say I was a little broke. What do you remember about your financial situation about 15 years ago? 15 years ago, it was dire, but it was secretly dire. You couldn't tell because I had this beautiful job at an amazing global company. I was getting paid more than most people in my age bracket. 
I was traveling. So I had disposable income that I had never had exposure to before. So let's keep it 100. It was fantastic, like on the outside. But on the inside, you know, the only pension that I was in, you know, like just investing in was probably the company pension. I was spending all the way up to my salary every month. I wasn't, you know, putting things away. Wow. I was spending a lot on um, outside frivolities, like things that people could see in terms of displays of wealth, rather than understanding what wealth really was at that point. So on the outside, it, it was great because I was making a lot more money than I ever had before in my life. But on the other hand, what I was doing with the money was a New York hot mess. Okay. <laughs> so what was the turning point for you? The turning point was when I wanted to leave my full-time employment and start my business because I realized I didn't have freedom to do that. You, you know, you, you're investigating business ideas. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but then I didn't necessarily have um, an idea at, you know, like when I first graduated from school, I had the idea, but I couldn't leave my full-time employment. And that meant I couldn't spend time on the business because quite frankly, you know, I was basically killing myself working from nine to five for a full-time for a company and working from five to nine on my business. And that's just not sustainable. So you realize actually that even though I was making more money than I ever had before in my life, I really didn't have freedom. Right. I was still chained up to a company that, although it was great, although it was paying me a lot of money, but it was actually, you know, I was just, I was in a prison because I wasn't able to do what I wanted with my career, which was start a business. Because starting a business usually takes investment, like investment of your time, investment of your money, right? And I didn't have that. 100%. And you've touched on a few things there. The fact that you had a career, but your financial situation, as you put it, was dire. And I think what was really interesting for me about your book was that it wasn't just about here's how to manage your money, here's how to budget, here's how to do X, Y, and Z. It's like you talk a little bit about your career journey and you very much talk about your own personal journey through that. Um, before we dive into it, though, I just wanted to talk about my first impressions of the book. Oh. Firstly, perfect timing. I mean, <laughs> the mere fact that we have gone through, dare I say, one of the most traumatic, dramatic periods of my lifetime um, and the impact that that had on our finances and just the way we looked at society. That's one thing. The second thing that crossed my mind was that it wasn't a casual read. It's actually a very intentional one. So I'm curious to know, firstly, how did you expect people to receive the book? I didn't know how people were going to re receive the book at all. Like I, how the book came about was that I was asked to do a Money Agony Ant column for Red Magazine. And in me doing that column, then the publishers, my publishers, Pippa at um, Orion Springs, they, she went to the editor and she was like, who wrote that article? Like, who? Her, she's so, like, she's such a lovely woman. Like, she's like a nice, she's your friend. Like, she's not judgy. And I was like, oh, thanks. And she's like, I want a book on financial wellness. And so I was like, oh, really? Really, girl? Like, I have like a course and everything that I do, but I didn't really know that 
you know, people were going to be interested in it because it's a certain type of person that was at that point kind of registering for a course, registering for guidance or just even quite the community that we were offering. When you say type of person, what, what kind of person? Um, it was just a, it was a person like me. I was attracting myself. Like we, we were in the city making our loot and we weren't doing anything with it. Like, or we were about to make loot. So I had one, one person in the course, she was 23 years old. She had just come out of school. I was so jealous of her. We won't talk about that. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit. Cause she, I was just like, you're starting at 23. If I had started at 23. Okay. Right. Like, and all the girls, all the women were just like, we're just piling advice on her and piling mentoring on her and information. And so, but back to the original point of the story is how the book came about was literally, uh, it's a transference of the course. It was all the women and their stories, me and my story. So it was actually really easy for me to write because I was, I was already delivering it. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was easy for me to write. And so why did it take the turn of financial wellness? Because we were so divorced. Everyone was divorced from their money. Like we were so, I don't know how to describe it, but we were thinking about our goals and our plans and our careers. And then we were also thinking about money, but really like kind of killing ourselves because we weren't doing the right things or we didn't feel educated enough about it. They weren't conceptualized together into that one person called Matilda or into that one person called Melanie, you know? It was really strange, the divorce of it. So, um, and I had a money coach. I had a money strategist. Like I investigated all these like money solutions. And yeah, so that's why, that's how it came to be. I was like, wait a minute, let's put it together as you're, you're one person and it's your money and you change your time for money every single day. What's up? Exactly. That's it. And I love how you describe that because for me, in my mind, there definitely felt like there was this beautiful intersection between the practicality of money and the psychology of it and where I kind of sit in the middle of that. Because as far as my own financial education, I mean, I was one of those people that quickly got on the whole Dave Ramsey bus with the whole total yes. money makeover, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Somebody told me to read that at some point, and that definitely influenced my perception to an extent. And then later in life, as, you know, we were moving away from being broke, starting to, you know, pile things up, I came across the Bajanista, who, Nigerian-American, very relatable. And I think, other than maybe just being super biased because you're my friend— the one thing I loved about your book was firstly just the kindness of the tone, but also your honesty. And so there there was that bit. The other thing I wanted to kind of explore was you focused very much on wellness and you kind of talk about how, like physical fitness, there's an investment there. And I know that we're mad into fitness. I mean, you're wearing Lulu now. <laughs> and i mean to the extent that when mel she was in barbados i was like girl can i borrow your peloton let me just try it out like i was happy to pay a mover to bring it to the house like we are about this life and we're very open and honest about our fitness highs and lows and ebbs and flows but what i realized as i was reading your book was i don't think i've ever talked to you personally about money and there was a real self-consciousness <laughs> that suddenly like came out of nowhere. And the way you wrote the book, you'd be like, okay, I know you're going to feel a way about this, but it's okay, girl. <laughs> you know, I, and I guess I was just quite curious to know 
the structure of it. You know, you start with defining financial wellness and then you kind of end on facing your fears. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, okay, it's very clear that this book is about the need to be courageous. And maybe that's what financial wellness is about. You know, how would you define financial wellness? You know, because you're so familiar with health and wellness and physical wellness, then it is honestly the exact same thing. Like, you know what, you look at all of the, the, the sports and athletics that you've done over the years. You didn't know them in the beginning. Like, right, you, you didn't know, you didn't have a concept of the rules, the concepts of the technique, but what you have is a confidence to say, you know, let me just try that still. <laughs> you know, let me just ask some questions. You know, let me take some classes, you know, and you're learning and you're learning. You learn, like, you know, like with your personal training courses, everything. Like, you just, you jumped on and, and, and asked your questions, your own questions. You set your own path. You chose from the menu of life and said, this is what I want to do. And I want people to have that same confidence with their finances. That's it. It's that simple. That you're not going to lose weight automatically. How many times have we talked about losing weight or gaining muscle? Right. Or, you know, or just or, or getting endurance as well. You don't get that the first day. You get that because you're making daily choices to invest time into your physical wellness. And it's the exact same thing. You get financial wellness by regular investment of time into your own finances and in learning about new things around your finances. And I just want us to have the confidence. And I also want us to have the entitlement. This book is like writing to my girlfriends. Like, So I'm going to say I want women to be entitled to more information about their money and how money flows and runs through their life. Like, I want them to say, wait, I should know that because there is a big picture here that says we've been failed. We've been failed by our financial services. We've been failed by the professional services, financial services community in regards to how they've related to women, how they've stood up for women, how they show up for women and their money. And it's only now that we're really seeing kind of women kind of come to the forefront of financial services companies or, you know, even just kind of the, the, the Instagram profiles. It's only now that we're really seeing that, like, literally shoving our way in and making space. But you know that the average woman is not reading the FT. And even if they are reading the FT, they can read the FT for, like, the macroeconomics, but the microeconomics of their life and financial wellness? <laughs> I started off as a banker. I say it in the book. I was like, I literally was at the branches, like, counting money in people's accounts. Mm. And I'm and if if me I'm not comfortable financial wellness and that's not saying me because I'm so great it's me because my backside you know at 18 was working in a bank and if I'm not comfortable I don't know how everyone else is doing it yeah I love the fact that you also have this desire to empower us and I personally was empowered by some interesting concepts within the book that I thought okay I'm gonna need to explore this further first one being the red tent of money. I was like, okay, that felt so churchy. It is churchy. Yeah, and and I love this idea. I mean, we talk about like the inner circle, outer circle, and all of that. And when I kind of landed on this idea of the red tent of money, I thought, okay, first of all, how am I going to acquire this? Could you explain to people what the red tent of money is? <laughs> the red tent of money. So yeah, for people who don't know, I was raised in the church. So I was in a minister's and training program. And so that's why you'll find some of the references are definitely biblical. Um, 
And so the red tent of money, you go back in um, the Old Testament. And when a woman was going through particularly women kind of health things, whether it be menopause, whether it be um, having a baby, whether it be having her period, there was a red tent. Well, they called it a red tent. I'm not sure if it was red back in the day, but let's you know, <laughs> just work with the visualization. And women would go there and support each other during those times where we just needed particular women's support. And so that's why I kind of tried to elevate the concept to a red tent of money where you are able to have that kind of close circle of women who are going through the same kinds of things as you. So, and, and, and some of the, and also some of the kind of the normative challenges, unfortunately, that we have as women, whether it be asking for more, asking for a pay rise, being underpaid, um, you know, negotiating for products and services, and, you know, that kind of like haggling at the market, like those kinds of things, just being comfortable to talk about those things with a like-minded group of people. That's what the red tent of money is. And so it started off because a girlfriend of mine, she, we went, I think, I can't remember, I think it was going, we were watching like the, one of the Real Housewives reunions to get, and she was like, girl, I got to do my finance. So if you're going to come over, just know I'm going to be on my computer. And I'm like, okay. And I saw this girl was like... <laughs> Sitting there, sitting there on her laptop, <laughs> receipts and stuff. And we're still watching the show. We're still watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta, but she's doing her due, right? Like she's just kind of, and so all of a sudden it became like a monthly thing. I brought my laptop the, last, the next time because I felt left out. And so, because we, we were watching like two episodes at a time and stuff. And so then we, then all of a sudden, like I was telling a friend about it. And she said, can I come? And I'm like, okay, let me just check. Oh, this is becoming a thing now. <laughs> And that's and it elevated up to a budget party. So all of a sudden, we were around my friend's kitchen table. We had wine, we had snacks, and we literally bring our laptops and our receipts and our invoices and our bills for the month, and you know access to our internet banking and hip hop and R and B nineties always we only only, um, <laughs> and we'd be playing up in the background. And all of a sudden, it was just a bunch of women around a table talking about finances. And things would come out, right? So it would be like, girl, what'd you pay for your for your mobile phone bill? Nah, girl, nah. Like, that's the kind of conversation. All of a sudden, we would tell her how to negotiate. Or what'd you pay for your internet bill? Nah, girl, you should try this. Or, nah, you know, did you try this? Or have you tried this? Or, you know, oh, yeah, like, I just learned how to, you know, I'm putting this aside for my mortgage. Or I'm doing this for my pension. Or I'm doing this because I want to, you know, like, renovate my house. Or... So all of a sudden you start talking about not just kind of receipts, you're starting to talk about the big things, right? Because if once you get your financial systems in order, like the daily ones or the weekly ones, then you can start thinking about freeing up your mind to think about the big stuff, like the the big goals. Like I want to get my MBA. I want to do IVF so I can have a baby. Right. I want to take time off of work, you know, like, and you start thinking about those things. And that's when it became the budget party. And that's how the business started. That's how financial wellness started. I started having budget parties at my school at the university that I taught I teach at and I would just literally bring snacks and food and wine and drink and I would play hip hop and R&B I would invite my financial planners my accountants my mortgage advisors the trusted ones that I loved and then I would have about 20 to 30 women in a classroom everyone would bring their laptop everyone would bring their receipts and we literally we just go through our budget Every Such month. a fantastic idea. Happened. Such a fantastic yeah, idea. And, and I'm like, why have I never thought to do that? And, you know, you talk a little bit about 
the shame aspect of how we feel about money, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump into mindset just yet. I wanted to talk about actually one of the other things that kind of blew my mind, and that was the mindful money exchange. And this idea of just being a little bit more conscientious as far as where you spend, how you spend, you know, you throw in a little tidbit about a black woman being on the board at Sainsbury's. And that's one of the reasons why you yeah. shop there. And it got me thinking, wait a minute now, what's going on with all the places that I willingly yeah. And maybe almost blindly give my money to. Yep. So could you maybe unpack that a little bit more, the mindful money exchange? Most definitely. So I want you to understand that you are exchanging your life force for money. And that life force, that that time, you're never going to get back. So it's really, really important that you understand how you spend it, right? So that's why we kind of go through that first. So let's just pretend, you know, you make 20 pounds an hour just because it's nice, easy for the example. Like every time you are, I don't know, not spending time with your children, not spending time with your friends, not working out, not sleeping, you're working and you are literally getting 20 pounds. Like you have to just think about it that way. Like your energy is being invested in work. So when you start thinking about the fact that you're exchanging your time and energy for money, then it becomes really more critical where you spend your money. All of a sudden you're like, hmm, you know, do I really need to spend 20 pounds that I'm not walking my dog Rufus on that Zara blouse? Is it worth it? Right. Is it worth it? Like the freedom that you are basically, you know, giving up, is it worth what you're spending your money on? And then when you kind of think of it big, like macro in terms of the double X economy, and you think about some of the issues that are important to you, whether it be climate change, whether it be kind of racial justice, whether it be gender equality, then you think about these things and you're like, well, wait, why would I spend money on a company or spend money with a company that is, if not, you know, kind of really supporting my causes, but actively not supporting right. my causes? You know, I'm like the chair of the Black British Business Awards. Why would I shop anywhere that doesn't look like it's even trying to support or promote Black people? It made no sense because it just, I'm like, I'm, it just, it's not, it's not in accordance to my values. So it it starts to, when you start kind of really valuing your, your output in terms of your time and your resources, the natural kind of elevation of thought that I want you, the natural kind of maturation of thought that I want you guys to get is that actually your money is power, your money, and you are investing your time to get money back. And then that money you're investing into other things, whether you like it or not, whether it be companies that don't have any women on their boards, whether it be companies that are mashing up our rivers and streams by their pollutions, it could be all kinds of stuff. But you're you're taking your hard-earned time and energy and you're investing in those companies. And is it worth it? It's never no, worth it. No, it really isn't. And I think I realized that in the last few years, there's definitely been a concerted effort to be a bit more considerate with my spending, but I don't think I've gone so far as to maybe do the research, do the investigating and actually just be that little bit more intentional. Um, But as I said, your book really forced me to do a lot of thinking. It's definitely a book that I will need to revisit multiple times, if not, maybe even treat it like a course, because I thought I want to do all these exercises. And I think they're all very much intended to help us go that little bit further as far as our relationship with money, how we think about it. 
but also our relationship with ourselves. And I think you touch on one of my favorite concepts, which is the growth mindset. Yes. And maybe one of my least favorite concepts, because I'm very much guilty of it at times, which is limiting beliefs. Yes. And I'm just curious to know as to why you brought that in. I it definitely, it threw me off. I was like, oh, wait a minute. We're getting very deep now. I just wanted to talk about how to save a bit better, you know, yeah. or et cetera. But, but it was so important, you know, for at least me. So what inspired you to kind of bring those into the book? I'm a super fan of the growth mindset. So I teach it before every MBA class. It's the first class that I teach at the uni level. Like it's when I say the first class, I'm talking, you walk in in September and if you're with Melanie Eusebi, you will learn the growth mindset. I had the pleasure of meeting um, Dr. Dweck a few years ago when I first started teaching at that level. And I didn't realize that my mom had been applying it for my life. (laughs) I did not realize that expectations were being put on me, tropes and stereotypes, and she busted through them um, and just said, you can learn through them. You can work hard through them. Stop it. Don't even listen to those people. So um, I think that for me, I wanted to start or just make sure that there was a foundation of the growth mindset because you are going to be learning new things. You are, and I, I, I don't want you to expect that you should know them. I don't want you to expect that it won't take time and investment to learn these things. And so it sets a nice platform for the growth mindset that, or for the for the financial wellness part of your life, that you're like, I'm coming into this as a newbie. I'm coming into this like a child learning how to tie their shoelaces. One day you didn't even know you had feet, much less shoes. And then 20 years, fast forward 20 years later, I don't think you remember the last time you tied your shoelaces. You did it so automatically because instinctive. you learned it. And that's what I want. I want your financial wellness to be instinctive that way. And that's the learning curve that the growth mindset advocates for. So, and it, it helps you throughout your whole life, whether you're a leader, whether you're a manager, you know, whether you're just walking through doing your own thing, it helps you through your own life. And it's helped me so much. I couldn't not put it in the book because that's probably why I have a book. So I have the growth mindset in some areas. Yeah. Yeah. And it being sort of one of the many goals that you've wanted to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, lastly, I kind of wanted to land on the fact that with the growth mindset, which is this idea that actually you can pretty much achieve anything you set your mind to and you should always think about what you're learning along the way this idea of purpose and finding your purpose for some people (laughs) it can feel quite an intimidating thing because it either feels like you needed to have this calling or somebody needed to anoint you to say you are going to be x y and z this is this is the trajectory of your life (laughs) and you know you kind of mention it in a way that people, I suppose, should be pursuing it. But that can feel like a really, you know, it feels almost too big. But I guess what would you say to people who haven't either figured out their purpose or may want to, but they don't quite know how to start? And I suppose I ask that question because you link it to financial wellness and you link it to the importance of, you know, having that positive relationship with money. It's a tricky question, but Equally, the fact that it was in there, I'm like, girl, now I got to think about these big things. <laughs> you don't have to. Like, I want you to start with the basics first and then you grow into these kinds of things. Like, you, it, it just the conversation naturally evolves in your head. But if we think about financial wellness, one of the tenets of financial wellness is financial freedom. That you're driving towards financial freedom. Um, 
it's really tough to pursue your purpose when you're locked up in chains. That's deep. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's really tough. Like if you're thinking about debt, if you're thinking about, you know, paying the bills um, on just on a regular basis now, like the cost of living crisis is real on these streets. You know, if you're thinking about all these things really tough, it's almost like you're thinking at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. Um, And so, you know, you're thinking about your safety, you're thinking about your health, you're thinking about just kind of bare bones basics of existing on this planet. And it really doesn't allow you the freedom to look at purpose and, okay, what am I here on this planet to do? Like, what am I here to contribute? What, what no one else can because of my unique formation. And so that's why financial wellness for me is so linked to purpose, even though I didn't want to kill people with it in the beginning of the, like, I got to like, just. Yeah. Yeah. The way you landed it, yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, let me, let me set you up. And then this is like, bam, now let's go here. So if I think about, and I, I, probably best to use an example my purpose, like, you know, people told me back in the day, they're like, Mel, yeah, you're supposed to be on stage. Or, you know, you're a leader, you're an activist, you're a voice for the people. People told me that, right? It's really hard to be a voice for the people when you got bills. Like, it's really tough. Like, you know, it's hard. It's hard. There was no way I could have had the freedom to start the Black British Business Awards if I didn't have some sort of financial wellness, some sort of financial freedom, some sort of freedom of time, at least, to be able to invest the time to start a business. And ultimately, I walked that out. Like, I walked it out for 10 years, and that was my God-given purpose. But there was no way I was going to do that with, like, you know, with money on my mind, debts on my mind. You can't think at that purpose-driven level. And I've read all – so I don't really have advice for people in regards to how you define your purpose. I know Mummy always said, like, you know – like you got to keep, you got to be doing stuff and you got to be changing direction. And sometimes you're going to do stuff that's not going to work, but actually it's the lessons learned. Like no one knows about the Center for African Progress. I, you know, that came before the Black British Business Awards. <laughs> so, you know, I had failures along the way, <laughs> you know, or, you know, but they were learning curves. There were I met so many amazing people that ended up contributing to the awards. What I want people to get is that your purpose is a journey. And it's not a destination. And you do have to kind of drive towards, at least if you don't know what your purpose is, drive towards the freedom of being able to seek your purpose and to be able to work hard for your purpose, to contribute time and investment towards your purpose, because that's that's how you start to realize it. And so that's why it's so very much linked to financial freedom and financial wellness. Oh, beautifully said, Melanie. Thank you so much for this convo. I mean, as I said, having the benefit of your friendship has taught me a lot about these things. But diving into the book even further has meant like, okay, I get Melanie all the time now. I just need to open up the book, (laughs) you know, and the many Melanie-isms that, you know, we could have dived into if we had a bit more time. But for me, the most hilarious one was people flossing with no teeth. I was like, get that on a (laughs) T-shirt. People flossing with no teeth. I was like, yes, I get that. Exactly. The visual. That, right? I was like, really? Like, And even at my level, my age, I'm just like, you know, because people always say, Mel, they're always getting mad at me for taking the tube. I'm like, I'm not spending my money on Ubers and taxis. Like, I'd rather spend that money on, I don't know, a marketing plan for my business and stuff. Like, I just see people just with some really whack behaviors living above their means or they're living above their dreams. Okay. Speak on it. <laughs> so yeah, flossing. Yeah, exactly. Just flossing. Yeah. You see a lot of leasing and a lot of, you know, just renting and 
when it starts, you know, it's kind of like when you, when I used to travel for business, it made me laugh because I used to travel for business, first class, business class. But when it came home to like, when it came to try and fly home with my mom to see my mom in Canada, it was economy. And you get used to that first class, business class life. <laughs> so all of a sudden, but I was like, Mel, where are you going? Mel, where are you going? Go back to your economy life. That's what you can afford. You know, <laughs> later on, you'll be work towards being able to truly afford that business class flight. Oh, I love it. And I fully encourage everyone to pick up Melanie's book, Financial Wellness and How to Find It, which is available from wherever you get your good reads. And you can actually find out a bit more about her next moves on her website, MelanieUsebi.com, or follow her on all the socials at Melanie Usebi. Thank you so much, girl. Thank you so much. It was wonderful being here. Thanks, Matilda. That was my chat with Melanie and ah, man, oh man, I could talk to Mel all day, but studio time is not cheap. (laughs) But what I do have are my top three takeaways. So number one, financial wellness is about choices and it's about making the right choices. That being said, you have to choose. And I think I know it's easy for me to sometimes put my head in the sand and hope that things will just happen without, I suppose, having the accountability or the responsibility of making a choice. One of the things I'm going to be a bit more choicy about is how I spend my time. Because when it comes to fitness, I am so diligent and consistent with going to the gym, my F45 classes, going swimming, going cycling. When it comes to money now, I know that even though I do stay on top of my finances, I could definitely be so much more protective with the time that I give to it and being more consistent with that too. Number two, find your red tent of money. Those people you can have open and honest conversations about how things are going. Now, I don't think I've ever talked to a friend about my money. And it's not that I can't, I just think it's something that I've never been challenged to do until now. And I mean, if nothing else, if it's not a personal friend, then I think I'll probably just seek out a financial advisor, someone who I can just be really vulnerable with and kind of get some advice and a bit of a steer of how I can do better. And finally, number three, Be more conscious about how you're spending and not just the amount, but who you're spending with because value alignment is important. As Mel put it, you're exchanging your life force for money, which you're not actually going to get back. So if you're going to spend, you want to feel like it was worth your while. And as she puts it, a mindful money exchange. It's got, you know, there's got to be some ROI there. There is so much to learn about money and finances and truth be told the chat with mel really only scratched the surface so i'm telling you do what you can to get the book because you will definitely discover so much more that will change your mindset about money and actually change your financial situation for the better so that's a wrap for this episode of financial wellness brought to you by flygo collective a space for black women and women of color who want to level up their wellness and lifestyle. 
You can follow Fly Girl Collective on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or sign up to the mailing list at flygirlcollective.co for lovely tips and goodies delivered straight to your inbox. Also, if you love what you heard, rate and review us on iTunes. And if you are kind enough to give us five stars, please, 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 I'll give you a shout out on the gram and more. Thanks again for listening. Peace out.